have the Ayatollah of Fantasy Rock and Roller with us today, Adam Rank. How are you doing, Rank? look great in person and I uh, just can't wait to next year we, we can pack it full of 25,000. Hey Bob, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I didn't know it was Ball Guys Day. It was being ranked. I mean, how do you lose? This is the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. Welcome back to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast, powered by Fantasy Points Media Group. This is episode 97, as always, joined with Major Caldwell. Catch him on Sundays with Fantasy Points during the morning show. And catch Tara Roberts just about everywhere and anywhere. She stayed up late last night with Bob Harris. You could caught her on XM Radio. <laughs> she's on Fantasy Alarm, Fantasy Pros, Fantasy Points, Fantasy Vipers, you name it. That's where she's at. This afternoon, we have one of the great ones joining us. He is a writer over at Yahoo. He is an esteemed novelist. That's right. He's much more than just a fantasy writer. His writing has been recognized by the Associated Press of Sports Editors, the American Library Association, and the New York Public Library. Some even call him El Presidente as the president of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association, the, mon- the fantasy monster of Midway. And today's guest is we go behind the grind, Andy Barron's. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing, I'm doing great. That... Uh... That Viper animation scared the hell out of me. Um, that was that was shocking. <laughs> well, we're we're very strong believers in fake it till you make it. It all comes down to a great introduction <laughs> and great graphics to kind of go with it. So uh, glad you enjoyed that. And we've got the people already coming in here. Everyone knows John Luke there. Uh, I can't pronounce that. I'm not fluent in any other language. I can't even speak English properly, let alone <laughs> what I can only assume is French. Yeah. <sighs> Andy, as the show goes on, you know, we talk about, we have a little bit of an area where we do a little bit of contractual obligated football talk. We are seven weeks, going into week seven here, the fantasy football season of the NFL season. We just had ourselves an interesting game last night with the Cleveland Browns, Denver Broncos. What did you learn in that game? Uh, Yeah, I guess, first of all, the Broncos are cooked, right? Like the Broncos are done. Um, and maybe that's too dramatic an overreaction, but you look at the you look at the matchups they had the last two weeks. They face a Raiders team that was in total disarray, lost their coach, right? Lost the 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 defining character within the organization, and and they get run off the field in that game. And then um, that the defense barely shows up against Cleveland's uh, essentially the junior varsity, right? Um, just the Broncos defensive front just blown up by, by Cleveland's offensive line. I mean, it wasn't even a contest. It was, I mean, these last two weeks have been embarrassing for Denver, I think. Uh, and they're what they're three and four now on their way to, I don't know. They've, they've got some matchups coming up. They've got like the whole NFC East coming up. Um, it's going to get, it's going to get rough. They're going to be like three and nine in a hurry. Um, doesn't look good for Denver. Um, the beyond that, I, I, I hardly know what to say. Like the quarterback play wasn't good. We didn't expect it to be good on Cleveland side. It obviously it wasn't, you know, Teddy was compromised. Um, I'm not, I'm not totally sure he was the right choice in that game. Like whatever, whatever you think the difference is between Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, it's not, it's not great enough that you wouldn't just play the other guy if one guy is hurt. Right. So um, I'm I'm not sure that Teddy needed to be playing in that game. Didn't do him any favors. He didn't look great. Uh, It was just a rough watch all around. And I know Tara, she loves to get to the waivers. Never on time, but she loves to get to the waivers. We had our favorite, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. The Ernest Johnson stepping up in a big way. Uh, Everyone remembers last year going out and blowing their fob or fab or whatever you want to call it. I never pronounce it properly either. Spent it all there. Kind of backfired on us. This time, spent that money. Looked pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, yeah. The running joke is that we have our Tuesday show and every Tuesday night, I forget we end at like 10 o'clock and I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't run away. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, boy, Darnish Johnson, I guess he kind of like kind of proved fantasy football Twitter wrong. I know we were kind of sitting there a little skeptical of how he was going to work out. Um, but he looked fantastic. I mean, what a game. Amazing. 
He also, he got a free run at the line of scrimmage all the time yeah. too, right? Like nobody was ever meeting him in the backfield. I mean, that was just part of the embarrassing scenario for the Broncos generally, I think. Yeah, I was just and they were in the Browns line being like one of the better offensive lines in, in all of football. Like what they did last night was a clinic. Mm-hmm. And with injuries too, I guess, you know, we learned a lot about Kevin Stefanski as well and his coaching ability. Yeah, and you know what? They're not the only team that's been hit hard by injuries. You look at what the Bucks are going through already. Uh, going into this week, they've already ruled out AB. They've already ruled out Gronk. Richard Sherman's already been ruled out. Levante David's been ruled out. Let's talk about some of these key injuries there, Andy, that you're looking at here. And this is all happening during Bimageddon. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, on the on the Bucks side, though, they're so deep, and they have such redundancy in that receiving core, right? It, it's like a... a little bit of a road bump but it's not it, it it doesn't even feel like that big a deal right um i think that game is particularly interesting actually and this is uh, you know kind of veering away from your question about injuries but um i think it's particularly interesting on the bears side because the bears haven't the like justin fields hasn't passed the ball more than 27 times in any game this season and there is a very clear game plan uh to, to not that you're going to beat tampa bay but right if you want to compete with tampa bay like we've seen several teams this season not even attempt to run. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to throw Khalil Herbert into into that Tampa defensive front 26 times? That's not going to you're not going to win. He's going to get 44 yards out of that, right? Um, right. So you're going to have to put the ball in the air in this game. They haven't really done it all year. Um, it, it, if Allen Robinson doesn't go off here, it's just like it's not going to happen. If they don't get to 40 pass attempts in this game in this matchup, it's never going to happen. So I, I did want to kind of touch on that a little bit. In our bold prediction segment here, I boldly predicted that both Darnell Mooney and Allen Robinson would hit 17 fantasy points in this matchup. So I went bold. I took both of them here. Now, that said, is Allen Robinson still quarterback proof? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. Like, you can be – I mean, he can be quarterback proof, but nobody is um, nobody is immune to game plans that have almost no pass volume, right? Like, the Bears are playing like a – like a, this is like a 1978 offense, right? They're putting the ball in the air 20, 25 times a game. That's just not modern football. Um, and, and if that if that persists against Tampa, you know, no, then there's, then there's really no hope. Like, Allen Robinson at five or six targets per game is just not going to cut it. And, uh, I, you know, I thought we would really see a jump in pass volume last week against Green Bay because, I, you know, it's a, a different version of, of kind of the same story. You're, Green, Bay can, Green Bay can get to 30 points against anybody. Tampa can get to 40 points against anybody, right? You're not, you're not seriously going to try to attack that team by, by running the ball into one of the best defensive lines in football. Um, so yeah, we're like, if Allen Robinson actually does get to like 900 or a thousand receiving yards this year, he should just go straight to camp. He should just go absolutely straight to the hall of fame. So obviously everyone who's watching this knows that you're, you're a bears fan, right? You're from that Chicago <laughs> area. You grew up there. What are you looking forward to this week? Maybe in this matchup or some of these other games for your fantasy rosters? Oh gosh, what else? Um, I I it I wouldn't say that I'm looking forward to this Bears game. I'm dreading this Bears game, right? Because this was like this was the game last year where Tom Brady became a meme. Uh, right? He held up the four fingers, didn't know what down it was, and all that. Um, so I'm sure that Brady is going to come out and minimum put four touchdowns on on Chicago. Right? I'm just sort of dreading that. Um, it, again, it's the, the thing we want to learn is whether they trust Justin Fields enough to, to throw the ball 35 times. That's, that's kind of my big thing in this matchup. Um, aside from that, I, I want, I guess I want to see how real, like, I can't, this is a weird game to, to say that I can't wait to see, but that, that, uh, that indie game I'm super interested in, um, cause Carson Wentz has been like sneaky good for three weeks yeah. in a row. Um, like it was three games in a row with double digit touchdowns. He's actually, he has the best passer rating in the league right now on, uh, deep throws, which is, which is not something I thought we would be saying about Carson Wentz at, at almost the midpoint of the season. So I'm super interested in that. I think we may have, I think we may have weather in that game. So that could complicate things a bit, but that's, uh, that's interesting as well to me. He gets T.Y. back, right? Hopefully, hopefully okay. T- yeah, yeah, Ty is like 50-50. He actually kind of downplayed the injury after after last week's game. But yeah, you give him a full complement of of receivers and both like both Pittman, Ty. They're using Mo Ali Cox a little bit more. It's not like he's running a ton of routes or anything. But 
they have them at least on the field in the like right areas. Um, so I'm I'm pretty optimistic about that, and I'm I, you know I, I'm always interested in what San Francisco does. Yeah, they're major. I don't know if you're getting your uh, your weather gear ready for that, but there's supposed to be some heavy rain forecast yeah. in that one there in San Francisco. Uh, a little bit further to that, with T.Y. Hilton, are we sure T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell aren't the same player? I know Campbell <laughs> came on for like one play, but I don't think either of them have been healthy for the same game since Campbell came into the league. So, Hey, no Paris Campbell slander. That's my guy. That's oh, my God. That's my guy, too. I can, like every year. I'm going to do it again next year. Too. I have him in every league. I have him yeah. in every league. You know, I'm not one to judge here. I've still got Josh Gordon roster on just about every dynasty <laughs> roster I have. Oh, Matt. <laughs> we're degenerates. That's all. That's, that's what it comes up to. Like, we're just degenerate. It's at that point where I'm waiting for that one breakout game just so I can, like, flaunt and do my victory lap. And, you know, it's been since, like, 2013 since he did anything. But I'm going to celebrate when he does, if yeah. he does, which probably won't happen. <laughs> Now, that is basically how we're summarizing up. That's a perfect way to kind of cue out of the football talk and move into the real talk here. And we're going to kick this off with one of Calvin's favorite questions. Calvin couldn't be with us here today, but he kind of starts this show off. There goes, what would your intro music be? If you're coming in to close a game in the ninth, if you're coming out there to a little bit of a WWE kind of thing, or, you know, you're getting ready for one of those long distance runs with those short shorts, what are you queuing up? <laughs> This guy's ridiculous, man. Nice. Oh, man. Um, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I would have to give that some thought. I would feel like a fraud if I didn't pick a – like, the replacements were very much my band when I was a kid, right, when I was, like, in high school and college, and I would feel like a bit of a fraud if I didn't pick a replacement song. So um, I could go with Can't Hardly Wait. I could go with Nightclub Jitter or something like that. It would be something like that. I don't even know what John's talking about here. Oompa Loompa Tuba music. He's going to play with <laughs> get him psyched up with a little, with a little, little dot wrapping over top of it. You have to be a Fancy. maniac to get pumped up to Oompa Loompa's on. You have to be absolutely maniac. <laughs> I mean, I, I can see it. I can put you in a very dark place there pretty quickly. You know, you're sitting in the dark corner before a pregame, a little bit of Oompa Loompa. But mm. I, I could see how they could really kind of put you in a different place. And John Luke, yeah. all the power to you. So that could maybe um, that could that could potentially whip a Canadian crowd into a frenzy. I don't know. That right. That <laughs> we we really don't need a whole lot. If you watch any hockey games, they start singing "Ole Ole Ole" like yeah. in the second period of a game. So uh, we doesn't take much to get us excited up here. Yeah. So. Um... We all know sports is important growing up. Uh, did you play any sports growing up? And and who were some of your favorite uh, athletes? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I grew up uh, in and around the Chicago area in like the 80s in the in the Michael Jordan era. Right. So that was, you know, that that was my guy. Um, let's see. Uh, so, yeah, I was I played a ton of basketball when I was a kid. Uh, took that as far as I could, which was not very far. Um, and then, it, you know, that's one of those things that I've kind of kept into adulthood. Um, but like that, you know, obviously it was a, a, a blessing and a total pleasure growing up in the Michael Jordan era. Um, but it was also uh, it did a lot of damage to you if like you tried to ever model your game after him right like if, like growing up idolizing michael jordan had you working on all of the wrong things right because like there's maybe 50 people alive at any given moment who should even try to do any of the things that michael was so good at um yeah. and the rest of us should just work on shooting right and i never did that so I, I worked on all the you, wrong things how many times did you jump from the three throw line <laughs> yeah, and land like uh, seven feet short of the basket. Yeah, plenty of times. All of us. <laughs> the, the only thing I had down from Michael Jordan was the old tongue sticking out, at least until someone hit me in the jaw and I bit my tongue doing it. You so, did that wrong. <laughs> yeah, I did that wrong. There, there's nothing that screams out professional basketball player about me in any way, shape, or form. So I spent all of high school just trying to like touch the rim and then trying to dunk and no time, um, no time shooting, no which, which nice. is a slight mistake. Nice. <laughs> so I, I do know that you do do a little bit of long distance running. Were you a long distance runner in high school, like between basketball and whatever else you had going? 
That's actually one of those things where like you get to a you get to a certain age and like all sports sort of converge on running, you know, like I'm I, I don't know, I'm ancient now. Right. So like the idea of me getting all my friends together for like pickup games is really hard. You know, I was I got to a point where I was like I was still playing actively like rec league basketball, but to like to be to be in the good game, you know, I was like, I was like the worst guy on the floor and I was still hanging in the good game, but like, it's no fun to just be barely hanging on to your pickup game. Right. So, um, I gradually got into running, like my wife wanted to run a marathon. So I did that with her and it was horrible. Um, I didn't train properly for it. And so like, once you fail at a thing, um, that, that can be a great motivator. Right. So like, I thought, man, I should try to do this well. Um, but it's, there's a lot of work that goes into doing it well. And then, um, my daughter, who's in college now, she's a runner in college, um, was just super gifted at it. And so um, we kind of got into that like local running culture because she was, you know, she was really good and threw herself into it. And so, yeah, I've been, I've been, and then it was the only thing that I could find to do during COVID, you know? Right. Uh, so Amen. I spent basically all of last, like, you're not going to get your friends together for a pickup game um, in the year 2020. It just, it just wasn't happening. So, you know ramped up the mileage a little bit, probably, probably going to throw myself into another marathon. If we get through. How many miles do you do a day? How many miles do you get in a day? It's, it's really bad. Um, I'm, you know, I've got myself up to like 55 to 65 per week. Um, oh, nice. so each day is a little different, but that's, I mean, it's a lot, <laughs> it's a lot. but I, but I think of it in terms of time investment, right? It's like, maybe I'm running like eight to nine hours a week. Um, that's like two rounds of golf and I don't, I don't golf. So like, the normal thing that a dude would be doing, I'm I'm not, I'm not doing, and I'm just replacing that. Yeah. yeah. Like, why, why am I picturing right now like that Mel Gibson, "What Women Want," that little monologue there, where it's like just you in the road <laughs> running, <laughs> and then here comes Andy, just kind of running down by the beach or something, just him in the road with the headphones. It's also on. It, like it's moderately productive because I all of my podcast listening happens while I'm running, right? Like yeah. I'm not I'm not totally. I'm not totally vegging out the entire time. Yeah. Okay, that's a good double up of time. I like yeah. that. <laughs> so yeah, I do a lot of get book, much on, book on tape when I run. I'm going to get on tape thing. Yeah, you're, you're not going to catch me, Ron. We do all our running with skates <laughs> on up here. Um, before we get a little bit any further here, I know you could twist your ankle when you run, but I hear you have a habit or it's happened once or twice where your arm's been twisted to changing your avi. There. Uh, what's the story behind the <laughs> Twitter Abby? Oh man, you're killing. You've done like deep research. Yeah, some bet. people call it research. The judicial system may call it stalking. <laughs> I at some point, um, <laughs> you, you know, late night at a bar with Matt Harmon, um, I I had changed my my Twitter Abby to a picture of his dog. I don't even remember. I don't even remember what the conversation was that led me to use Matt Harmon's dog as my Twitter Abby. And then it was just <laughs> up there for like two years. Um, and at some point, like my wife and child were like, who, what is that? Whose dog is that? And I'm like, Oh, that's Matt's dog. I'm not really sure when I agreed to make him my, my Abby. And they were like, it's not even our dog. Like we have a dog and our dog has never been featured in that. <laughs> like you need to change so that now. right now. <laughs> Charlie's a good-looking dog, though. We, we we have to admit, Charlie's a good dog. Yeah, Charlie's kind of a prima donna, though. And Charlie, you know, Charlie Charlie felt like Charlie was responsible for my brand more than me, and so we needed to we needed to go our separate ways. Plus, Charlie's <laughs> politics are very problematic. I can't Ooh. have that. I can't have that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, uh, diving into diving more into your life. Um, tell us about a decision that changed the trajectory of your life, and you can't say that it is marriage or birth of a child. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's probably you know it's probably the decision to like jump into uh, sports writing generally. Like we not not that long after my my daughter was born in two thousand one, and not that long after that, I made the decision that I you know I. I I was an English major in, in, in college. I don't really remember a time when I didn't think of myself as a writer. And I, I tried really hard after college to like land a job in sports writing. I was a stringer for a little while at some local papers that doesn't pay any money. 
I was like an associate editor at a trade publication in the baking industry that didn't pay any money and it was terrible. Right. Um, and so it was just, you know, it was re really hard to get a, to get a foothold in, in writing professionally. So I took a corporate job that I liked at a good company and loved the people there, still good friends with all of them. Um, but I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't writing anymore. And I felt like I was sort of letting that, you know, that, that had always been so like central to my identity, like through high school, grade school, college, all of that. I was like, I need to, you know, if I, if I don't do it now, when my child is just born and I can, perhaps I can stay home with her. Uh, so it was basically that decision to like leave a corporate job, um, watch my daughter by day and then try to launch a, like a freelance writing career that, uh, that, that was a big sort of hinge point in my, in my professional career. I might like, I don't know, financially, maybe, maybe it would have still been better to have kept the corporate job. Like I was liking it. I don't have any complaints about it. I learned a bunch of good habits there. It was great. Um, but there's, there's just something to be said for, you know, like raising a kid in a home where like your child sees that, that their parents do what they love. Like that's really good. Um, uh, that, that I felt like was, uh, you know, a, a great environment that we could give my daughter. Um, and it was just, you know, it's that, that, that was a big turning point for me. That's a hard thing to sit, to decide to do, to, you know, leave an income behind for a very uncertain income, but, uh, but I'm glad I did it. So well, before, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, go Terry, ahead. Before before Terry jumps in here, you mentioned we mentioned the novelist kind of stuff off the get go. We we're just talking about here with the trajectory of your life and the writing. Now I did some Google research, but I'm always afraid oh, no. to kind of throw it out because not everything on Google is a hundred percent accurate. What were some of those novels or books that you kind of put out there? I know there's some. Was there some children's books in there too? Okay, so uh, at the let's see, we're probably, we're probably five years into my, into my sports writing career. And I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing for ESPN at the time I was doing, I was doing a lot of stuff. It was freelance stuff, but I was doing a lot of stuff for page two and page three. I don't know if people remember that, but I would, you know, I had pretty regular features in there. And, uh, somebody, somebody wrote me out of the blue one day and said, Hey, you should write, um, a, a YA novel. And I was like, what's a YA novel? And they were like, it's it's a novel for teenage girls. And I, at the time, I'm writing for like, you know, ba basically the people who are reading me are like middle aged men, right? So I was like, wow, I have entirely the wrong voice going here. If that's if that's who's finding me, but like, um, it was a, a representative from a book packager, and the the way like a lot of um, young adult novels and and middle grade novels get written is there are companies that come up with like a sort of two page, at least this was what it was like 15 years ago. There are companies that will come up with like a two page sort of synopsis, a, a little two page plot outline, and they just go find writers. Um, and so I wrote a bunch of sample chapters on on spec of, of something that they, cause I was still at a point in my career where I never said no to anything. Like if somebody wanted me to write for them, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and these guys were actually paying, which was amazing. Um, so I, I wrote some sample chapters for them of a book that became, uh, <laughs> the book was called all the way. And then, uh, the, the company that I was working with, the book packager, um, w was actively working with like film companies. So it became the, it became the movie sex drive. Um, the book and the film are super different. Like the <laughs> film is like wildly inappropriate and not, you know, not exactly the tone of the book, but it was still a really fun thing to be a part of. Um, fun cast, fun project. So yeah, I wanted to confirm that that was one of the ones I didn't want to just automatically yep. assume that this <laughs> book turned movie about whatever it was, because there's that and there's like the fast and the furious came up there when I was doing my research. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to let him tell me what's out there rather than me just assume that Google has this down on point here. So. Yeah. That last book that I wrote, the fast and the furriest was really fun. It was like a, a, it's basically, it's a dog agility story. It's like a boy and his dog and a dog agility story. Super fun to write. Um, and uh, that was more for like middle grade boys really enjoyed it. Did a lot of, uh, I don't know, did a lot of readings associated with that one. That was cool. Well, this is where Charlie's politics really affected the book, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right i love it you know it fits perfectly in with what you were saying regarding you know the importance of your kids seeing you happy and seeing their parents happy in what they're doing and a lot of what you said resonated with me because i kind of um 
I too wanted to go into journalism. I was an English minor, but focused on um, broadcasting for major and then went into uh, corporate after struggling to find a job in journalism as well. So I, I totally identify with that. Um, in talking about the the changes and getting, being able to go from corporate into that passion career of yours, you know, what are some of the changes that you've seen in yourself personally along this journey? Oh man. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question too. The, the big thing that you have to get over when you, and actually I, I feel like, I feel a little bit like, you know, a few years of corporate life prepared me for this. Like you have to get ready for rejection. Um, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be a freelance writer, because nobody's like, nobody's waiting for your pitch, you know, no, no editor out there is just waiting for Andy Barron's to lob an email at them and, and attempt to pitch a story. Right. So like, you've just got to get ready for the idea that a, a huge percentage of the things that you send out are either not going to get replied to at all. They're going to get a no, they're going to get a, we like this, but we don't think you're the person to write it. You know, <laughs> you're going you're to get all manner of, of rejection and you need to you need to be able to shrug that off and it like that is really hard when you're in your like you're in your 20s you're in your early 30s you're you're trying to dive into a a, a new career to like confront that much uh seeming negativity right like it's just it's just really hard and I imagine that it weeds out a lot of people, right? Because there are folks that are just like, no, I'm not signing up for this. I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to get a dozen rejections a day. Um, it's like, it's hard. You just, you just hear no a lot. And even the, even when you hear yes, and you're working with an editor, there's a lot of people who really struggle to, to um, react well to edits. You know, um, one of the first places that I wrote for was uh, the local alternative weekly in Chicago, the Chicago Reader. Just, just great staff, great editorial staff. But man, they took a they took a red pen to everything. Um, and I'm like, I think of myself as a pretty good writer, and I, you know, have a certain bit of my ego associated with that. And it's hard, right? Like the fir the first time that somebody just tears your stuff apart and <laughs> is like, they're like, we love this, we love the idea, we love the way that you phrase this one thing. And then, you know, here's page after page of, of red edits. And, um, you know, it, it's just it's just a hard process to go through if you really if you really undergo like a rigorous editorial process. I don't I don't know how much that happens outside of like print journalism, though. Right. Like it certainly never happened um, when, when I've written for the web. Like I went yeah. from that. I went from like a, a process where like to get, you know, to not even a cover story for the reader, but like, a you know, mid magazine feature just felt like I'd been through the ringer every time. And then, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I'm writing for ESPN.com and um, it would be an audience of like however many million people and they'd just throw it up on the site and then edit it on the back end, right? <laughs> like it was yeah. just, it was wild. It was, and I'm not saying, I'm not calling out ESPN there. That's everywhere. That's what I do now. You know, I post it myself and then it, it can get edited on the back end. That's just like how we operate now which is just a, an entirely different world. But that is a really difficult, that is a very long answer to your question, but this is, that is a really difficult hurdle to get through. Um, and uh, the, the, you know, the process of, of getting and giving feedback in, in corporate life, I think prepared me a little bit for that. I think if I'd actually dove into that straight out of college, it, it might have wrecked me. Yeah. And maybe when we transition, you know, transitioning from, you know, a editorial onto online and you, you're leaving that editor giving you all those comments, maybe it transitions less from the company like ESPN doing and more to the readers that are on there vocally making comments. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and not that like I've, I've learned over time not to pay a great deal of attention to the comment section of any story. And I've learned how disassociated the comment section can be from the actual material and how few people in the comment section are actually reading it. But um, for the first, you know, for the first couple of years that your stuff is getting commented on, you're reading every single one of them and you're just like craving positive feedback. Right. Um, <laughs> I've learned not to do that. But um, yeah, that's painful as well. Major. Yeah. It looks like we have a question from uh, John Luke here. Uh, let's see, I got an unsolicited question. I can't read. I can't see. Okay, so... <laughs> You go, uh, John Luke's basically asking, what, what do you see as the path of least resistance to navigating a career in the industry? Yeah. Um, but, well, first of all, you have to have, I mean, it's like, it's, it's so, 
it's so it seems so relative maybe it's not like i'm i'm so detached from um actually jumping into the industry but obviously when i got into it um you you, you basically had to uh affiliate with a with a major media company somehow which is which is not an easy path right like that is just a very difficult thing to do like latching onto these jobs is really hard and people don't give them up once they've got them willingly right so um, that is really difficult, but like I got into the business at a time that, that, that Twitter didn't exist. Um, there was no comparable social platform. Right. And I've, I just feel like I've seen so many people rise through the industry now, um, and, and become like significant voices in the industry, just, um, based on, on like their online personality and, and just having a voice that is different from everybody else and engaging productively with the rest of the community, right? Like, and so that that is just, I mean, I I, I can't even, I, I'm not gonna start naming people because I start naming people, I'm gonna forget people, but there's just so many people that are that are really talented that are that are young and up and coming in the in the industry. And they've just, you know, they they've made their own platform because they had, you know, they had access to to social platforms like Twitter and whatnot. And they're really good and they have unique voices. And and that's kind of the best thing. You can also, I mean, this is difficult, but you can also um, create an indispensable product, right? Like you look at the way um, Matt Harmon has made a name for himself and all that he's done with reception perception. I mean, that was a huge void. There's still a huge void in, I think, in NFL analytics. Um, and in there's still all kinds of new and different ways. Like baseball is a little bit more mature, but there's all kinds of new and different ways to look at, uh, to look at football. And, and we're still seeing people create really unique products. Yeah. Um you kind of answered it a little bit earlier, but I wanted to zoom in a little bit more on it. Um, uh, when you decided to make fantasy sports more than just a hobby, like what was that conversation like with your with your wife? Like, hey, I want to write about a fantasy football thing here, and I'm going to quit this corporate job. <laughs> <laughs> How did that go? Um, she's super supportive, yeah. uh, actually. Like, uh, you know, I, we have. We have a great relationship. I love my wife. Like it was, it, it was not, it was not that difficult. And we'd met in college, and you know, she, she, she knew what I ha had always wanted to do, right? I knew what she always wanted to do, and and they they complemented each other. And the other benefit of my like staying home was that my wife's career was able to really take off too, right? Like all of a sudden, my wife can travel at a moment's notice and doesn't feel bad about you know, oh gosh, I'm going to leave our baby at home or whatever. Like it, it freed her up um to be uh uh you know a better employee and to be able to say yes to everything in ways that i i think she probably felt reluctant to before so it ended up being good for both of us i mean it was stressful right because you go from having a, a very steady income to, to a, a wildly um variable income depending on who was saying yes to my pitches um but uh but she's super supportive it, it was it was actually you know and i, I like I was just super fortunate to be in the position to to even entertain the idea, which uh, few people are. So that was, you know, I, I was just I was just very lucky to be there. Nice. Um, the the job, by the way, is wildly different now from what it was when I got into it. Like, first of all, when I when I entered the fantasy space, and I didn't like dive right into fantasy, right? I just wanted to write about sports. Um, okay. And, uh, and that was becoming increasingly easier because like the web was opening things up to like, if you were just good, if you just had a good voice, you didn't have to go through the, you know, the, the pains of rising up through a, a newspaper system, right? Which is not a meritocracy at all. And you just have to be there a long time in order to like get the back page. Um, but, but when I, when I jumped into it, like I, I had been playing fantasy for a long time. So it felt natural to me to, to accept some fantasy work too. But the job was writing. Like when I got hired at Yahoo, my whole job was just to write like 4,000 word columns a week. You know, that's what they expected of me. And then um, I, I had no experience doing anything on camera. I had no experience doing anything on radio. I feel like I still sound that way, but um, that, that was just not part of my background. Like I would, I, I would encourage people if they, if like, if they're, you know, 20, they're in college and they're still thinking about doing this, take, take the route that Tara did, right? Like get, um, get a broadcasting background because the, the first thing that's going to be expected of you is to be good on camera and to be adept on right. camera. Yeah. Uh, just a pivot, just a little bit. Um, what are you, what's your favorite league? I know we all have like the, uh, home leagues we love. We started with like, what's the oldest league you're in or what's your favorite one? Oh man. Um, 
Well, I, I probably have a couple. One of them, one of them is a is a baseball league. It's the it's, I don't know how long I've been in it. Maybe I've been in it twenty five years. Maybe I've been in it twenty years. Yeah. Um, it's like an NL only league. Um, bitter rivalries. The rule changes are, are are weirdly like we change rules every year. Um, it's but it's fun and we retain a lot of players. They're all anything that I really love. Any league that I'm super attached to is both about the people and it's a dynasty league or a keeper league in some way, right? So we're like retaining a bunch of the same players and you end up with like emotional attachments to players and teams and things like that that you just don't get in in redraft formats. And then I'm in I like this is weird too. Like I'm in a I'm in a football league um, that was that was started. One of my best friends in the industry is Chris Harris, um, and we've known each other for a really long time. He's one of the first people that like allowed me to write for his site. Um, love him, R really good person. Um, and I, I've been in a football league with him for maybe 20 years. There's no buy-in. Like nothing is on the line except for a trophy, right? But. Um, but it's it's hotly contested, and um, we keep two or three players every year. So everybody's really attached to their brand. These guys, most of these guys, all know each other from college. So there's just bitter rivalries there. Just a really fun league, and he's an amazing commissioner. And like, oftentimes the commissioner just makes these things right. Like the commissioner right. creates a vibe that uh, that you really get attached to. So that league, um, which again we play for no money, we just play for a traveling trophy, is is probably the football league that I am most most interested in every year. Nice. Speaking of those bitter rivalries that kind of make that league, when you get Yahoo with ESPN, with CBS, you basically get the King's Classic, which is like a everyone kind of coming together. It's I'm down in the Blanded Division, so I haven't quite got the Jim Brown kind of competitive <laughs> thing that you guys got going on up there in the gold jacket room. But talk about that King's Classic a little bit and just what it's like getting together with all your peers and stuff in the room, drafting live. We were able to draft live this year as opposed to even maybe last year when that was not the case. What a, I mean, what a, what a success story for, for Bob Lung. Um, and, and Bob, you know, if people, if people don't know him well, he's such a, man, I love that guy. Cause he's, he's, he's so loyal to his hometown. He's so, his hometown is Canton. Um, he's so loyal to the hall of fame. Um, he's just such a, you know, he's such a good spokesperson for it. Um, and he threw that whole thing together. And it, the first King's Classic was the first time I'd been to the Hall of Fame. And they were wonderful. It's an amazing place to, to have a draft. And just just that opportunity to get together. You know, I've been going I've been going to like the FSGA conventions for a long time. Um, but but even those are usually that's usually the people that are top, atop the the sort of corporate and marketing and sales hierarchies at a lot of these fantasy companies. It's not the people who do what we do. It's not the actual content producers. So for for Bob to have created not only the King's Classic, but then the the Fantasy Football Expo on top of that, and to have brought together like a few hundred people who actually do this job, um, a whole bunch of people who'd known each other online forever, but had hardly ever spent time together. I mean, I just, I can't say enough great things about the event that Bob put together and how successful it was, how fun it was. And obviously it's just, it's great to get in a room with, uh, with, with you know, your, your friends in the industry that you've known for so long. Yeah, just to further to that, I'm not a toucher in any way, shape, or form. I've never been more inappropriately touched in one weekend than I was down in the expo. You meant like all strangers. Well, let me just apologize like on connection. behalf of Brad Evans. I assume that's your. <laughs> but it, it really was you know, a bunch of strangers from Twitter. That's the, the beauty that Bob put together. It wasn't just the content creators; it was the content consumers that were coming down there as well and checking it out and people coming up like they know one of each other because of how that communication on the Twitter kind of went leading up to it. And I think it was kind of a good thing just to get everyone out of their houses. And well, kind of you know, it's like, it's again. one thing to have the idea. We've all had the idea. Yeah. It would be great to get all these content producers together, but, but to execute on the logistics of that thing. I mean, it was a monster. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, Bob basically enlisted his fan, like his family was, you know, Oof. lugging boxes around. And, and his wife was out there doing work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the whole the whole squad was was on it, and uh, just a, an incredible feat of organization and uh, uh, dedication to the industry. I, I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, yeah, I met Matt in person. We've been doing this podcast for a while now, and met Matt in person out there. You know, so this it, it was a good experience. 
Yeah. It's amazing how we can literally spend like, cause we're, we're together weekly <laughs> and we can be very connected, but not actually have that chance to meet each other. So I am hopefully going to be there next year. Um, but moving on to uh, moving on back to podcasts. Um, what are your, what, tell us about some of your most memorable podcast or interviews. Oh, wow. Um, that's a, that's a good question too. I've actually in the last, um, the last year or so, they uh, just within Yahoo, I've I've ended up doing a bunch of uh, athlete interviews. Those have been those have been really fun, and that's another thing that I just had no experience with, right? Outside of you know being a reporter early on in my career, um, but doing it on camera has been has been really fun, been pretty interesting. Just talked to Ryan Tannehill this week. That was that was that was weird, and it was fun because we did it um, in association with this segment that we do each week called Fantasy Bad Beats, right? Where it's just like your horrible fantasy loss from the from the weekend prior, and we already had this this time scheduled with Tannehill, and as it happened, he took a knee at the end of the Monday night game, and one of the most common complaints that we always get in Fantasy Bad Beats is that you know, people lose because their quarterback takes a knee at the end of the very last game of the week. And it is just gutting, right? Like you go from being up half a point to down half a point because the guy loses, technically loses a yard. And so we had the opportunity to talk to Tannehill about that. And it was pretty, it was pretty hilarious. I think I got him to commit to um, getting his backup Logan Woodside on the field for those situations moving forward. <laughs> nice. Because that, That'd be one of those things that helps everybody going forward. Yes. Right. Right. You know, the, the worst, and we were joking about this too. Um, Kyler Murray takes those snaps from shotgun. So like, it's nothing for Kyler Murray to lose nine rushing yards or 12 rushing yards at the end of the game, <laughs> kneeling down out of shotgun, which is just the, the dopiest thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's crazy how fantasy sports are becoming something that athletes are are happy to interview about, happy to associate with. I know you've got Austin Eckler that's over there at Yahoo as well doing a regular show. So, I mean, it's just, it's really impressive and really fun for, you know, just a fantasy fan in general to have that athlete interaction going on. Yeah, it's, and and I feel like like athletes started to get it pretty early on. And I, and I know that, you know, the feedback that athletes can sometimes get from fantasy managers is terrible. Um, right? like, like sometimes it's just awful. Um, like you can be a winning player who's coming off a, a game where the team wins and all that. But by God, if you took a knee at the goal line, you know, situationally, people get really mad about it. I get it. Um, that's hard on athletes. But I think athletes in general have recognized that um, it, it's so good for their personal brands for their exposure it's you know i like fantasy it you guys all know this anybody watching this knows it like it just makes you so much better informed as a sports fan it's it's i feel like now looking back like you know when i was in when i was in college and i thought i knew everything um how how little i really knew about sports and how much more i know and how better informed i am from just simply from playing fantasy not even for not even from doing this for a living, but just, you know, for being in like, I don't know, three, four fantasy leagues makes you makes you such a well-informed fan. For sure. But if you weren't into fantasy, I know I, I know we've talked about your career before. We've talked about your writing. So, I mean, there's a ton of things that if you weren't working within fantasy industry right now that you could be doing. But is there something other than that that you would maybe be doing if you weren't doing this job right here? I'm I'm qualified to do so few things. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how I, that's really how I feel. I mean, like seriously, if I weren't if I weren't um, writing about fantasy sports, I'm I'm sure I would have continued uh, sports writing. Like I like I loved it. I loved uh, writing uh, sports features. You know that that I that I got to spend a little bit of time with. Like I I was just thinking, this is this has been like I've been like kind of the. So on Sunday, I, I almost never take the day off from like watching NFL games on a Sunday, but um, the Chicago Sky were playing in the in the WNBA finals and my wife and I went to the, you know, we had season tickets this year, we went to the, the final game of that. Like, that was pretty emotional because like I, I, I had begun, um, when, you know, years ago. I don't know how many years ago, 16 years ago, I'm, I'm freelancing. And like one of the first big cover stories that I had for the reader was the Chicago reader here locally was, uh, was a piece on Candace Parker when she was like a, a junior in high school. Right. So I feel like 
that story was a big deal for me professionally. And so I've always like been a huge fan of Candace because she was so nice. Her family was so nice. It was a well-received story and all that. And so it was really gratifying to like see her. I don't even, I don't, I don't even know what got me on this, but um, it, it was really gratifying obviously to see her win a title with like my hometown team was just, was just phenomenal. And the, the attachments that I have felt to um, subjects after writing like longer form sports features, I just love that stuff. Um, and I loved doing it. And I like, that is probably what I would be doing. It would be something very close to what I'm doing now if I weren't doing what I'm doing. So we mentioned that novelist background books turn movie type thing. We've seen that happen in your career. So I want to get really in tune. This might be a very deep question here. I'm going to try and keep the politics out of it here. But if you were recasting Fast Times at Ridgemont High, starring only fantasy analysts, who would be starring in that movie? Oh, man. Um, Andy Barron's production of it. There's a there's a, there's a lot of pressure here. Um, there's a ton of pressure here because I, I Pianowski has to be in it somewhere. He's a huge fan of the movie. And I don't want to. I don't want to screw up his role. Um, so, <laughs> like, I, I don't want to assign him to the. I don't want to assign him to the wrong to the wrong role in that. Um, probably the the most fraught selection is who who plays uh, Sean Penn's character. Um, that's that's is that Brad Evans? It's probably Brad Evans. I know. I know the hair is exactly wrong, but um, we, we, it's probably we Brad. We, we could probably fit uh, him in a Spicoli there. I could see that. I, I could pull it off. Yeah. Who's uh, who's Mr. Hand? Um, Bob Harris, probably Mr. Hand. <laughs> so it's, it's something kind of fun to think about. You're just trying to recast all these characters from a movie. I know you, you really enjoy this movie, too, if I'm not mistaken. I, I mean, it's a classic. <laughs> it's an American classic. Who doesn't? <laughs> So, so heading back over to heading back over to the industry, we touched on this a little bit. Um, we, you mentioned that you started off as a writer, and then moving on to you know camera with um, without the previous camera experience. But um, you know, when we you know have these shows, um, we talk a lot about um, with people who have just a you know a long history in the industry, all of the changes that we've seen. So, you know, what are some of the changes that you've seen within the industry? Um, the one of the biggest things is that when, you know, I've, I've been doing it long enough that, uh, so there, there was a really small number of people who were doing it when I got into the industry, right? Like I started at Yahoo in 2007. I'd been at ESPN probably three, four years before that doing things like when you, when you entered the industry, you were just a fantasy writer and it was sort of expected that you didn't specialize in a particular sport. Um, and that's been that's been one of the biggest changes that I've that I've seen. Right. In addition to the fact that you were pretty much only, you know, in print, nobody put you on camera. Um, it was it was a huge deal, by the way, like the first time that fantasy guys were getting on camera in any way. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking about like Jeff Erickson with like MLB Network and Funston and Carabell when they would get on ESPN, like those guys doing a good job was a huge deal for our industry. Um, and, and those guys not totally face planning was just like, if that had happened, that would, that maybe that would have been bad. And maybe things, um, maybe things drag on differently <laughs> for, for the fantasy industry generally. But like when you were hired to do it, you were a total generalist. And um, it was just understood that, that Funston would be covering basketball and he would be covering football and he would be covering baseball. And now you're allowed to really be sports specific. And there are all these fantasy services that do such a, a great, like deep dive into individual sports. And I feel, I, I, Pianowski and I talk about this sometimes. I feel like such a relic because I'm like, how, how many people are out there like, like writing about and, and talking about multiple sports? It's just, it's just super rare. Everybody's either football or they're baseball. And, you know, they, those, those groups don't even, they don't even know each other particularly well, right? Like the, there's only a few bridges between the fantasy baseball community and the fantasy football community and the fantasy basketball community. And I feel like I'm I'm one of the one of the few people who who serves that that capacity. Um, that's I think that that and the fact that you know you don't get to just write to do the job um, are the are the two biggest changes that I've that I've observed. 
Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, the very specialized within one sport, I guess it's, you know, has become kind of difficult because the more advanced we get in the industry, the more mm -hmm. caveats there are. We've got so many different types of leagues you dive into. You can do Debbie, you can be IDP, you can specialize in so many different things. So I wonder if it gets just a little hard to be someone that is specializing in multiple sports. I mean, that takes a special talent to really know all the players, the strategies and the intricacies on multiple sports. Yeah, you're so right. Like in, in football now, um, you can't you can't even just be a football expert, right? You have to be a, you have to be a Debbie expert. You have to be a dynasty expert. You have to be a redraft expert. You can't even, you know, it's not, it's not even enough to say that you're like, you know, uh, an analyst of a, of a particular sport. You have to be a, an analyst of a particular type of game within a niche within a sport. <laughs> and when, uh, when you said that the, uh, those guys were on, you know, get on TV for the first time, was there a moment where you guys all kind of was just like, Oh my gosh! I hope they do well. Hope they do well. Then was like, yeah, we did it? Was it? Was it? That? Did, you guys, did you guys even know that it was a thing? You know, I man, I do remember rooting for those guys when like, because I barely knew Jeff Erickson at the time when he was getting on, you know, uh, uh, MLB Network or. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, while I was writing for ESPN, I, I don't think I even really knew Funston um, for a few years. Cause I was often in one editorial area and he was often fantasy and, you know, fantasy never bumped up against anybody else. But uh, man, I always rooted for those guys when they, when they were on, I was, you know, like, I still feel that way when, you know, uh, when I see whether it's Barry, whether it's Mike Clay, whether it's anybody with with any of the major networks, when they're when they're like on on TV and on major platforms and crushing it, it's just it's just good for everybody. Right. Um, I feel like that's one of the things that makes the industry so unique is that it's different than just the sports industry in general with journalists, you know, we're very, it's very personal industry where you're wanting everyone to succeed on a different level, different levels, you know, as high as Matthew Berry, you're very interactive with, you know, uh, podcasts like us. So it's just very interesting how everyone is so connected and supportive of each other. Yeah, just the the mere fact that, uh, and it's like, it's a good business strategy for them, obviously, but the, the fact that ESPN has integrated fantasy so completely into their, into their just regular football programming um, is, is huge for the rest of us, right? The, the fact that it just gets out there as a, as a very basic part of being a sports fan um, has, been a, has been a big deal for the industry. The fact that they don't just like wall it off in the fantasy section of the website. And if you're one of those fantasy guys, you should go there, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna ever let Chris Berman talk about it. We're not gonna ever have it on like our major flagship shows. The fact that, um, you know, they've, they've embraced it so fully however many years ago that was, was a, was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, we all know relationships are like 90% of the game. Uh, who are some of the people that helped you along the way in your career? Oh yeah. Um, man, uh, uh, it's almost, almost too many to name. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like actually the Matt Berry coaching tree is, uh, is just as big as anyone's right. Um, because I, I go back to the talented Mr. Roto days. Um, Brad Evans goes back to that as well. And like that, my, the first little foray that I had into any sort of fantasy writing was actually when Chris Harris, my good friend, um, I think he won, I don't even know what they called it, the open pen contest, something like that, a talented Mr. Roto. He won that and they assigned him something that he was not in any way fit to do, right? Like Chris is a huge football fan at the time. He was this huge Red Sox fan. Um, and they assigned him like an NBA column for like some, <laughs> some game that the, what was it called? I don't even remember the name of the game, but it was, it was like something that NBA.com wanted to launch and they'd kind of farmed out the analysis of it to, I think to TMR. Um, and they assigned that to Chris and he reached out to me and was like, what, what the hell? <laughs> like, this is not, this is not anything that I, that I, I should be doing. You have to help me with this. And so, um, I got involved with talented Mr. Roto that way. And just being part of that sort of Matt Berry family was super helpful. Um, you know, helped help me obviously get a get a foothold with uh, ESPN fantasy for a little while. And then, you know, nobody's more supportive uh, within the industry than Brandon Funston. He's been great. And Brandon never wants any credit for anything, um, but he's he's super helpful to everybody whose path he crosses. He's been great. Um, Brad Evans, one of my best friends, like super, just just really supportive people. Almost everybody who was there in the in the early days of fantasy is just incredibly supportive of one another. Nice. And last question here, uh, for those of us trying to make it in the industry, what's some uh, advice you can 
give us some fatherly advice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you said it in your last question. Uh, a lot of this is about is about relationships and and how you treat people. You know, when we have opportunities like this, and how you treat people online, um, how you interact with people. Um, and I like I always encourage people to you know if I like it's never been easier to, to interact with almost anybody in this, in this industry, um, on social. And, and there have just been so many careers that have taken off over the past few years, just based on relationships that people build on Twitter relationships that people build on, on platforms like this. So, um, throw yourself into it as, as much as you possibly can. And obviously it goes without saying, um, and this industry doesn't usually have a problem with it, but you know, be, be respectful of everyone, be respectful of everybody's opinions and, and help folks out along the way. I do have one more question. It's not really fantasy uh, relevant here, but how would you defend an artist Gilmore hookshot? <laughs> it's, a, it's utterly indefensible. Artist was my, but before Michael was my favorite player, artist Gilmore was my favorite player when I was like a little kid. Um, loved everything about him aesthetically. Um, I, I feel pretty strongly he should have been one of the NBA's all-time top 75. I think I tweeted that yesterday. Artists would um, be one of the best athletes in today's game, clearly. Um, utterly indefensible hook shot. The man was 7-2, um, you know, could leap out of the gym. There's, there's no defense for it. <laughs> How do you find this stuff, man? <laughs> well, it's funny because even before you tweeted it out, I had artist Gilmore here. In my uh, backup notes here as well as like University of Iowa, I was going to make some kind of Iowa joke here based on last week's college football. <laughs> oh, no. I decided I decided not to. Usually, I take a shot of terror at Clemson here. We had JL talking a little bit earlier, but I've got nowhere to say because well, we're not going to get into that either. But you know, I, I still I still have this a, a million years ago, at least twenty years ago. I wrote this story um, when when eBay was just becoming a thing, I wrote this story about all the, you know, it seems crazy to say that this was ever a, a story, but I wrote this feature about all the sports memorabilia that was available on eBay um, when the site was just launching, right? And I I bought Artist Gilmore's game-worn shorts from, I don't even know which All-Star game, like the 19, I don't know, 81 or some All-Star game. So I've still got them sitting in a drawer upstairs. Uh, says uh, West on the side, I believe. Little stars, um, <laughs> tiny shorts for a seven-two man. I'm not, I'm not how many sure times? How, how many times have you put them on? That's the question. How many times have you put them on and run around more, the house? More than one time. More than one time. <laughs> you on your daughter with the shorts on. <laughs> Matt, you're. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was just kind of listening and enjoying the whole thing here. Uh, with that said, Andy, thanks again for coming on the show here. Uh, just kind of, we know we could find you on Yahoo Fantasy there, doing your thing each and every week, each and every day, not just on the football side, but as well as MLB side. You look at the fantasy pros, numbers and statistics and accuracy. You've been one of the most accurate rankers on both football and baseball, which is kind of a, you know, a major hat tip to you because a lot of us can't even get one thing right on football, <laughs> let alone hitting on two fronts there. So where else can people kind of find you right now? What are you up to? What do you got planned? Yeah, there's, um, you know, I contribute to the, the Yahoo fantasy football forecast. It's, it's a pod that comes out every weekday. So people can check that out. Um, the, the big flagship, uh, Yahoo show during NFL season fantasy football live, uh, is available all over Yahoo's platform, uh, 90 minutes before kickoff on Sundays. Well, yeah, one of the greatest fantasy articles that was ever kind of put out there was that daily fantasy sports article that, uh, you kind of did way back when there that you kind of put the fantasy world kind of on a map there, so to speak there. So that was something I wanted to make sure I thank you for putting that out there so that we could consume it in our daily uh, I'm actually, it's, it's funny. I'm writing this, I'm writing this email newsletter now for like Yahoo fantasy plus subscribers. And it's, I, it's a total joy. Like I, it's been a long time since I've written like daily articles, right? Like that's barely a part of the job anymore. You're on podcasts all the time. You're on video all the time. Nobody asks you to write. Um, so that's been, that's been really fun as well. And then Tara, where can people find you here? What do you got going on this week? Um, well, I'm, this is the big wrap up of the week. So this was a great way to end it. But, uh, but yeah, um, you can catch me weekly, um, with fantasy pros videos. I think I have one that just came out. I'll post that on Twitter, but fantasy pros, um, fantasy alarm here, of course, uh, my favorite home in the world. And then I also, um, 
have been remiss to keep forgetting. I'm going to um, be starting hopefully next week um, doing some content for Awesomeo, um, probably some DFS content and fantasy content as well. Um, so you can find me in those places, my best place to find me. Um, and all of my content is Twitter. It's all there. And Major, I know where to find you on Sunday, but let the people know where to find you. I probably don't even know where to find me. I get it wrong every time, but <laughs> check me out on Fantasy Points, After Points, Morning Show. Me and my boy Nick, we're talking uh, player props, helping you guys make some money. So tune in. Hey, and what else can you do over at Fantasy Points? Can you, uh, is there a promo code that you can use? Yeah, um, you can go to fantasypoints.com, Viper, or it's a 21 Viper 10, and get that. 10%, 15%. I don't know. I suck at this part. You know what I mean? So <laughs> just go All right. log in. I can't see. And it's so small at the bottom yeah. there. Yeah, 21 Vipers 10. Get your 10% off fantasy points. Subscribe. It's the greatest website ever in the world. So we had a comment earlier on in the show, Andy. I don't know if you caught it there, but Kyle there, also Canadian, kind of threw out there. The one guy with glasses on can't actually read the screen. <laughs> Head over to fantasypoints.com. Use promo code 21Vipers to get 10% off that subscription today. So let me explain. My left eye, I'm like almost blind. And this one is like not that good. So I'm like squinting, trying to read that thing. It's not, it's not a good look. So leave me alone. With that, all, with that all said, make sure to head over to the Dynasty Vipers Network there on YouTube. Check out the Behind the Grind series. We've had some of your favorite analysts come on the show, share their stories. It's a timeless classic that you can make sure to catch on. Like I said, all your favorites are on there. And it just talks about each and every one of their journeys, much like Andy shared with us today. Make sure you check that out. And with that all said, you know, Wait, you Matt. can run a mile. You Matt. can run a mile in another man's shoes. But not all of us can wear Artist Gilmore shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. This is episode number 97, and we'll see you next time. Take care.